0: Welcome to this edition of On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow from Tarleton State University and we're glad you're joining us again this week. To listen to a little bit of commentary uh, because of all the things that are going on. It just doesn't seem to stop, as we've said, from week to week, but it keeps us going here. It's plenty to observe, plenty to think about, uh, much to engage with as we're starting to see a transition, of course, in federal government, and we'll be looking at that over the weeks ahead. So I'm glad you're with us today right here on KTRL 90.5 FM and streaming on target. Uh, we do post on our Facebook page that's on politics with Eric Morrow, and we also are available after the show. You can listen to this episode and many other episodes on SoundCloud, uh, or you can download where you get your podcasts. So getting right into the topics uh, of the week, and especially the one that's in front of all of us that will continue on for a few weeks more, and that is the second impeachment of President Donald Trump. Now, if you're a news watcher and you're engaged with uh, network news and and. Uh, different commentators and analysts and so on. Uh, you've probably seen a number of things about this. So uh, my focus here is not so much on repeating what's out there uh, as much as, as zeroing in on some significant issues in terms of the process and what's happening here, especially the politics of it. Uh, looking at what what's really going on here uh, and, and, and really in terms of analysis, kind of looking at what could be the possibilities over the next few weeks Uh, Because this is significant. We came right out of the events of last week uh, into uh, the House uh, convening this week and uh, passing the articles of impeachment, which, of course, then calls on the Senate to hold a trial once those articles are delivered. So the first question that comes out of this, uh, and and of course, polling and and other things address this, but I I think we need to look at this constitutionally and what is the role of our elected representation in Congress related to the process of impeachment. So the question out there, of course, is should President Trump be impeached? Uh, Of course, he's been impeached uh, it's moving to trial if, he, uh, if that impeachment is upheld or the, that, the, the trial that moves forward. And there's some questions about that as well. But, the, but really the question to all of us if, is concerning, uh, should he actually be impeached? Did he do something that uh, m- moved to that level, that rose to that level, I should say, based on the Constitution and based on uh, what we see in Article 2, Section 4, uh, we've seen this before uh, because of the first uh, impeachment process, but that article says the president, vice president and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, robbery or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And of course, the claim here is that inciting an insurrection by President Trump based on what he said uh, moved this to a level that then uh, demanded impeachment, at least for those that that supported that and moved that forward. And we know that it was a, a somewhat of a bipartisan a support for that in the House of Representatives. And then you've even had Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, who has come out and said several things about being reviewing this and being open to looking at it. Uh, so there, there's a lot going on here. And if we go first to that question of whether he should be impeached or not, and and I thought about that myself, and I thought about this the first round as well. Uh, are we in a position as, as citizens, as individuals, to say yay or nay with this? Well, if we look at it constitutionally, that that authority is given to Congress. The way that the impeachment process is set up, it's given to Congress to be able to review and to make that decision. And, and remember too, this is not uh, this is not like a, uh, a criminal process here. Uh, it, it has elements of that, but it is much more about looking at what someone is doing or has done and their ability to carry out the duties of the president under the, uh, uh, the Constitution and, and how the Constitution outlines uh, that position. And so, politics are very, very much wrapped up in all of this. And so, the question about should he be impeached, the answer really to that for all of us is, well, that is a, a, that is a decision that we have given by our agreement to live under the rule of law and under our Constitution, we have given that to Congress. And there's a process in place uh, that, that moves that forward. Yes, it is a political process, but that works both ways in terms of our political parties, in terms of political affiliation, uh, agendas, and so on. Uh, but it's something that we, in, in terms of the way we govern ourselves, have given to Congress. Now, where it does affect us is if we... We say, oh, well, no, that that shouldn't have happened or it should have happened that way or the outcome was not what I wanted. Uh, Very similar to elections. Then we're deciding whether we keep those people in office that are currently in office, uh, that we give them the power that they have in the positions that they have in order to uh, coordinate, lead the work of government. Uh, So I think that the answer to that, and I think this is something that if we really engage with the text of the Constitution, with the impeachment process, that we are giving Congress not only that authority, but we are asking them to say, "Okay, you are responsible for this. You, in your sworn duty to uphold the Constitution, the position that you have been given by the people of your district or your state of this country via the Constitution, you have that responsibility as a member of Congress. And so I look at these things knowing, too, that all the politics, and we're going to get into that here in just a moment as well, but that this is really that responsibility, that if enough members, a majority of the House of Representatives, believe that there is a reason to impeach and they have that support, that is their responsibility to move forward with that. Uh, On the other side of the Congress, when we look at the Senate, uh, again, uh, it's a higher threshold. We're talking about needing a two-thirds majority to remove someone from office. Uh, so that that's significant as well. And of course, then the other part, which becomes the focus here, since the trial in the Senate could be moved, it will be after uh, President Trump leaves office, is being qualified to run for office again. So we'll get to that in a moment. But that, that first question, should he be impeached? Again, we, we should understand this in terms of the responsibility that we've given to Congress, uh, and, and no matter what political party the president is, no matter what the makeup of the Congress is, uh, this is the way we govern ourselves. These are the challenges and the the uh, the environment that we navigate, uh, and thus uh, this is something that we have have delegated uh, via the constitution uh, to our Congress to address. Now, this brings into all of the issues of this happening in the in the timing in which it has happened. Here in about, uh, uh, well, less than a week, President Trump will be leaving office. Uh, Joe Biden will be sworn in as the next president of the United States. And so the question is, why even proceed with this? Uh, Because he is going to be out of office. He is not going to be in the position uh, to have the authority and so on. And so what's the purpose in going forward with this? And I think this is on multiple levels and we need to understand this. And some of this you're already aware of and some of it you may not be. But I want to give you some things to think about. So why, why either delay this process or uh, I think as, as some are seeing it, why get caught up in all of this at a time when the focus should be on uh, the installation, the inauguration of a new president? So I think that that's one area. One focus here is that uh, there's, there's not the need to detract from that with all that would be going on in terms of a Senate trial. Uh, for uh, a sitting president who's about to leave office and something that may even in in itself extend beyond uh, the inauguration. Uh, I was listening this morning to a a broadcast where they were saying that uh, President Trump is having difficulty getting representation for the impeachment trial, getting uh, attorneys to come on board for a team to be able to engage with this. So there, there are all kinds of aspects of this that take time. And time is not something that's available if there's a transition here and, and it's being handled in the way uh, that it was. So, so why delay? Uh, I think there's a number of things on this. Why, why wait uh, to, or at this point say, and I think this is part of it as well, that the impeachment process will move forward? Well, first, it has to the House has to deliver the articles of impeachment to the Senate. Of course, the Senate is out of session and will not come back into session until next week, uh, until before the inauguration and then moving through those events. Uh, And so there there's an opportunity here to for those who are looking at this in terms of the politics of all of it uh, as to how to handle this certainly there are going to be those in the democratic party that are going to push and pursue uh the impeachment trial they're they're going to push their leadership to deliver those articles of impeachment and then let the Senate move forward. So that's one point of question there as to whether uh, the speaker of the house, Nancy Pelosi, and the majority of democratic leaders in the Congress uh, in the house of representatives will be uh, wanting to do that. uh, Even with those pressures within their party to do so. Uh, When you look at this, it can create some logistical challenges. I mean, one of the conversations that's been going on between President-elect Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell that's been reported, is how can the Senate uh, change the rules where they can move ahead with business, which is an aid uh, package that uh, President-elect Biden has announced. Uh, It's the confirmation of nominees to cabinet positions and critical posts in his administration the way the impeachment process works is that the Senate basically drops everything they do, and they focus only on the impeachment trial. This is a very challenging way to start a a, a new administration. And given the circumstances that we're in right now with a pandemic, with unemployment uh, going up, there there's a need for a President Biden and his administration to not only hit the ground running and get key people in key places, but it's critical to their success in that first 100 days and looking at uh, what they're going to be able to accomplish and, and at least try to see if they can start swinging the needle on some of these very challenging issues that are being faced in the country at the moment. And so this this may be one part of this, the politics of it in the among the Democrats in, well, let, let's give President Trump the identification of being the first president ever to be impeached twice, although not removed from office, but impeached twice. And then let's let's move on. He's, he's gone. He's out of office. Uh, uh, we'll get to his influence and so on in a moment. Uh, but for for Democrats politically, uh, they have to be looking at it in, in, a, in this way, whereas the Republicans, I think on the other side, I think one of the concerns that or one of the things that they'll focus on is, well, why not let the Democrats move forward with this. Why not let them get bogged down with it early on, uh, and 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 hinder what the Biden administration is able to do and and func- how it's able to function early on? I mean, politically, that makes sense as well to let the Democrats who will have uh, control of the Senate uh, via the the Vice President uh, and having uh, half the seats in the Senate. Uh, th- that could be very much in their thinking of, well, we're, we're not going to handle this. We're going to let the incoming uh, Senate and incoming administration, we're going to let them deal with it because if it, it, they then have the choice of whether to move this forward or to, to to leave it alone and just go forward with the work of the new administration. So, again, all of this is in the mix. The other part of this, too. That could get all of this bogged down and and may contribute to it not moving any further than it has already. And that is, what is the standing of a former president related to impeachment? So we know that if he's left office, removing him from office is, is not to be decided. He's already out of office. The other part of this is the restriction on being able to run again for public office. And again, there's questions about whether that could be a push forward or not once the president has left Uh, uh, constitutional scholars. If you get out there and look at some of the literature on this, uh, they're very divided about this. Some say, well, yes, that could happen. And part of it is uh, 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 and, and looking at it that way is that you could have a president that would say that's been impeached, that's moving to trial and say, well, I resign. And then if, if he's resigned, then he's out of office. That's been achieved. There's no uh, further need to address this. So here is this stipulation in there that uh, that that the, the Senate also has to vote on. And remember, this one's only voted by majority. It doesn't have to be uh, the uh, uh, two-thirds majority of removal from office. So by majority, which Democrats will have, they could bar President Trump at that point former president trump from running for office again again this is again a political move i mean how what concerns or what issues do they have to see with this and of course they're they're kind of looking ahead i mean he wouldn't run i don't think for anything other than maybe president again in, in 2024 but two years four years is a lifetime i mean it, there's so much that happens in politics and and so you're 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 basing a decision now that may not be able to be upheld that would certainly be challenged in the courts as to whether Trump would be a candidate in 2024 uh, or not, uh, as in addition to aggravating uh, the base that he has, uh, which, again, we'll get to in a moment because I think this plays into uh, all of this as well. So, so there's politics all wrapped up in the process here of, of calculating as to what is the right move uh, at the right moment. Uh, So we've looked at the Democrats a little bit and what maybe they're thinking and debate that's going on. Let's look at the Republicans and why would Mitch McConnell uh, come out and and kind of open the door uh, to the process of a trial in the Senate? Uh, So I think one part of this uh, is that Mitch McConnell and others of the Republicans uh, were genuinely disgusted at what happened uh, on January 6th. Uh, that, that this group was incited. And some of this did happen beforehand. There was conversations going on. There were plans going on. Uh, and so the rhetoric that was used by President Trump, by Rudy Giuliani and others that day just pushed this uh, to fruition. But I think that there are many in Congress that were uh, disgusted by all of this. And I think there's there's genuinely a desire to end all of this, to end uh, the Trump era in terms of the position, the power, the way he communicates, the rhetoric and so forth in, in terms of what they are doing as politicians, as uh, leaders of Congress. Uh, as what they see needs to be done uh, from the diff- both sides going forward in order to address some of the critical issues. Not to say that they're in unison. Uh, they're, they're not, and we're about to see some of that in the days ahead. Uh, but it is a much more common shared feeling as we see among legislators, bo- both sides who have come out and spoken against what happened uh, last week. So I think on, in one way, this combined with uh, Trump losing uh, Twitter, Facebook access, social media access altogether, uh, was one way in which the Republicans in Congress, especially the Senate, but they could hold uh, Trump in check. They could come out and and on the one hand, they're saying, you know, we didn't like what happened. Uh, we're against that. Uh, did the president incite this? Well, possibly, but we're gonna have to look at it. Uh, it, it holds him in check uh, for the moment. Uh, so all of this combined together to get through the inauguration and to see him leave office. So I, I think that's a very a smart move. And, and if you watch Mitch McConnell over the years, he's he's a master tactician when it comes to politics. He 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 thinks through, looks through, evaluates. Uh, he, he, he really, uh, moves in a political way in, 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 all that he does in trying to navigate this related to his party and of course, related to, to power. And of course they're losing that with, uh, Congress and their focus has to be, uh, moving ahead for a couple of years. What, what's going to happen between now and the next election. Uh, and so I think that plays in the, into this as well, uh, Saying that, I think we have to look at the the base of support that Trump has had and continues to have. So Mitch McConnell and others are looking at the millions of votes, the record voting that happened in this last election, and the millions of votes to, of supporters uh, that uh, President Trump had in that election. And while they don't want to condone some of the things that have been said and done... They don't want to go too far and push those people away, uh, either from the party uh, or detach them somewhat from uh, the mainstream in the Republican Party. I mean, we know and we've seen this, that the party really has shifted in these last four years. It has been a a party of of Donald Trump in that Republicans have been. There and supportive, and uh, for the most part of what the president wants, what his agenda is, what he wants to do, it has not been a traditional Republican Party agenda. While it has elements of that in there, it, it's been driven by uh, the words, the actions, uh, the, the the goals of the president. So I think they're very much concerned in, in looking ahead and not wanting to alienate that base. And one of the reasons why I bring that up is that uh, there was an Axios poll. Uh, this past week uh, that looked at that support post January sixth with the events that happened. And just in looking at those numbers, uh, we can say two thirds of House Republicans voted to decertify the election results. okay so this this happened after this happened after the events of January sixth. So you still had two thirds of House Republicans. ninety three percent of House Republicans voted against impeachment. And then a poll uh, among people in the country that was taken uh, over this past week, 64% of Republicans said they support Trump's recent behavior. 57% of Republicans said Trump should be the 2024 GOP candidate. Only 17% think he should be removed from office. So that, even with the events that have happened, That support, while it's diminished some, is still out there. And I think Republicans are going to have to contend with that uh, over these next two years. And so you might say, okay, well, then what does this mean in terms of a Biden presidency and and so forth? How does this strategy play into uh, what uh, may happen uh, in the coming months? Well, let's kind of look at this for just a moment. If Biden has success, not just in the first hundred days, first six months, first year, in engaging with the pandemic, in addressing unemployment, in limiting new crises that, that are happening as we move into what will be a primary cycle um, in about a year, uh, to begin that preparation for uh, midterm elections. If, if, that, if that's the case, then Republicans may have a very difficult time in two years in winning back control of either the the House or the Senate, um, but even in doing so, they have not alienated their base. They they could still look ahead. I mean, it's a given that if Biden is not as, uh, not successful, uh, if there are new crises that that continue to hammer away at the economy and. Uh, uh, in in other areas, uh, then, then they have an opening. They have an opening to engage with that base of Trump support out there and maybe even with him uh, if if he uh, resurges here after uh, being in office and then is able to get out there and to uh, try to rally uh, that support for Republicans to be successful in the midterm elections. So that's a given. But if even if Biden says that they don't want to lose that support, it's going to be more challenging to keep all of it because if things are going better in terms of the economy, but as we've seen, even, uh, when we were looking back at the Obama administration and and then how Trump engaged with this, I mean, Trump was talking about all of the things that went wrong uh, in the Obama administration, which uh, many of that was not entirely accurate uh, in terms of the economy and in other areas. Uh, there were some points that he zeroed in on that that were a focus of his policy efforts, but he was able to, to carry that message and to get support uh, with that message. And so I think that is where Republicans are thinking, how do we stay attached to this uh, over the next uh, uh, year to 16 months or so in advance of those midterm elections? Again, if, if Biden is successful, they're looking ahead to 2024. Is Biden a one-term president? OK, Biden has said that that then opens it up, uh, where, whether it's a Donald Trump or not. You know, who knows at this point, because so much happens between now and then. But it it opens it up uh, to, again, connect with that base. Now, who will come forward out of the party to do that other than Donald Trump? You know, who knows? I mean, that's that's one of the questions to really watch, to see who begins to start positioning themselves. And we've seen that with some. Uh, like a Ted Cruz or a Josh Hawley uh, senators uh, that we talked about last week. But again, I brought up concerns and questions about how they would actually be able to do that. And of course, after what's happened in this past week, what their political... uh, futures uh, hold for them uh, both internally within the Senate and how it functions, and then also in terms of their constituents and their states. Uh, but, but again, they're not Donald Trump, as I said last week. And so the the question then becomes, and, and I think we'll see this more uh, clearly when we get toward the midterms as to who who are the people who will come forward that are going to try to to tap into that that wide base of support uh, across the country and whether they will begin to move earlier because there is a potential for Republicans to be successful in the midterm election or if they will wait uh, and, and then after that start to move uh, based on the, 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 the challenges that the country will face or uh, just the fact that it will be an open election on both sides uh, in uh, 2024. So I think this is this is something that we need to be watching in the days ahead. I think I think that if the trial had moved forward in the Senate, uh, it it could have very likely ended with Trump resigning the day before he left office, Uh, because uh, one, I don't think there would have been enough time to come to that decision. But politically, this all makes sense for both sides, for both Democrats and Republicans to delay this process, whether it moves forward or not. Again, that's one thing I'm actually questioning here. And I've seen others that have have done that as well, uh, that 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 it's going to be a concern on both sides if this does move forward and it's given a a forum that will be under tremendous scrutiny uh, on both sides. It's another thing for Democrats to say uh, to their rank and file in Congress and say, look, uh, this is going to get us bogged down. We need to support President Biden. We need to move forward with things. Uh, we 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 won the election. We won the Congress. We've got a lot of things we we can do now over the next two years before the midterm elections. We we have the 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 power and we're in place to do that. Uh, I think that's going to be the centrist message coming from the Democrats. Whereas the Republicans are going to be very concerned. The majority of them, not all, but most, are going to be concerned about how all this is going to play out and look if they, any of them, come out against uh, President Trump, uh, given the numbers uh, that we are uh, currently seeing. So keep watching this and look at as it develops. We've got a little time here to kind of catch our breath, Uh, even though that there's a lot of attention being given to this. It's Of course, shifting to the inauguration, a lot of focus on security around the inauguration and then in in capital cities around the country because of of some of the threats. So I think that's where a lot of focus is going to be. It may be some shift here to look at uh, the Biden administration, the incoming administration and what we can expect Uh, in the first few days and weeks and and months of that administration, Uh, so we we may get a glimpse of that. Of course, we're going to come back to this impeachment issue. It may only be for a moment if it doesn't move forward, Uh, but I I wanted to look at it and discuss some of the politics behind this and looking at the strategies of both sides and how they are engaging with this now and what might happen in the days and weeks ahead. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to focus on Texas. We're going to look at the comptroller's recent report related to revenue and the budget outlook for the state. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about the newly elected Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, uh, who was interviewed this past week by the Texas Tribune, and look at why this is such an important position in Texas politics and in the function of the legislature, uh, something that you should be in tune with and and watching uh, as we move into this session. We will be right back.
1: Politics can be confusing, but On Politics with Eric Morrow has your back. Follow the show on Facebook. Search On Politics with Eric Morrow to stay up to date with the show and all the sources to follow right along. Tea for Texas. Tea for Texas is a Texas-based history podcast from historian Dr. T. Lindsay Baker. Find a new episode every Thursday morning wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to this edition of on politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow. We are glad you're joining us today. If you missed the first half of the show, uh, it will be on SoundCloud. You can listen there following the show today. And I will also be posting some related articles, especially about the second part of the show and that is moving us to Texas here and focusing on a couple of things related to the session of the Texas legislature and the budget process uh, that is going on. So first, before we turn to look at the new Speaker of the House and talk a little bit about that position, I did want to talk about the report that the Comptroller issued this last week regarding the revenue and the the information that is needed by the legislators uh, to prepare the next two-year budget, which of course will begin uh, in in September 1 of this year after uh, the state legislature uh, finalizes it, which usually comes late in the session most times. It takes the entire session, and this is usually the main priority of our state legislature uh, is to prepare that budget. Uh, The good news was that the, the shortfall. Of revenue uh, has diminished from between four and five billion now to about $1 billion, which, if you are familiar with uh, recessions in Texas in the past, uh, that is not. As significant as some of the challenges that we've seen, especially uh, the drops in revenue after the Great Recession in the state. And then we can look back into um, uh, post 9-11. You can look back into the 90s. I mean, we, we go through at least one of these major types of economic crises, either as a nation or as a state. Uh, each decade that then requires the legislature to say, okay, we're under that constitutional requirement that we cannot spend more than what we bring in. We can't cannot deficit spend, even though there are some mechanisms in place to help in some areas uh, to address that but but uh, for the most part, that that budget has to balance. And so, In anticipating that, we already had the 5% cuts in the previous budget cycle uh, that had been requested by uh, the the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the speaker of the house, 5% for this current cycle as well. Uh, But then we're looking ahead. So looking ahead to that next budget, what does, uh, what revenue does the legislature have to work with? And First of all, a little bit of a, a civics lesson here in talking about the state budget, because it is very interesting. It's very complex in ways, but. Our budget is made up uh, of, of three major uh, components uh, of, of revenue. There's federal revenue, which in the past has been usually about a third of our state budget that goes to fund federal programs. Uh, and then when we look at state revenue, there is the, the uh, revenue that comes from various consumption taxes. So we're talking about sales tax, uh, uh, tobacco, alcohol. Uh, and uh, motor vehicle, hotel occupancy, uh, just a number of different areas, uh, and then there's also the the revenue that's generated from uh, holdings of the state, whether it's in uh, in uh, investments, uh, land, and and so forth. So it's it's all of this together. Uh, fees are in there as well. I talk about that when you pay your driver's license or get your car inspected, or you uh, go to a state park. But th- there's all of these revenue categories, and so in our state budget, uh, there is also uh, some challenges because a lot of the funds are designated; they they go to a specific thing. So by law, whatever revenue is generated off of that, then it goes to fund something specific. So like uh, a portion of taxes on gasoline when you pay at the pump, go to transportation and to roads, a portion of lottery funding goes to education. Uh, so there, there's a lot of designated resources. And in the end, it leaves about a third of the state budget left for lawmakers to then review and decide where it's going to go. How is it going to be spent? What are the greatest needs? Where do we need increases? Where do we cut back if we're, we don't have the revenue that was expected? Uh, and so this is where the the challenge comes this is where uh, that often it's focusing on what is the area of greatest need we're in the last session that was uh, public education so uh, kindergarten through 12th grade uh, the focus was on getting additional revenue uh, to help school districts uh, build more facilities to accommodate demographic growth in the state to hire more teachers uh, to um, to pay teachers more i mean there, there, that was an area that as we know if you if you know this policy area in the state uh, just has been neglected in various ways and is also challenged by the, the demographic growth of the state, the fact that we have a number of people moving here and we're trying to accommodate uh, the number of children in uh, public schools. So we're, we're yet to see what the priorities will be uh, because Every area is being affected in some way. Uh, we're here at a higher uh, institution of higher education. And so growth plans uh, in order to facilitate either new programs or to accommodate with facilities, uh, uh, larger enrollments, uh, all of that is is of concern. And, and every group is coming to this session wanting to lobby for their particular needs. And so that's what will be going on uh, in the weeks uh, and months ahead. And in all of that is then these revenue estimates and looking at the direction of the state economy right now. So the comptroller came out with his report this past week, uh, Glenn Hager, our our, uh, state comptroller, and stated that Texas lawmakers will enter the session with an estimated $112.5 billion available to allocate uh, for general purpose spending in the next two-year state budget. So this is that third of the budget that's general allocations. So it can be moved around by the legislature. It's not designated. Again, this was uh, very optimistic in uh, kind of looking at the fact that the deficit uh, was going to be about 1 billion. Had it been expected to be about 4.6 billion, as I said, between four and five. Uh, And so the the still is going to make it difficult because it means that uh, there are going to have to be cuts in the current state budget. Even though there've been these five percent reductions, there there still are going to have to be cuts across the board in terms of state agencies, institutions, and programs uh, because of this deficit. Uh, it, this is in the middle of a time when uh, the pandemic is still not under control, and so its impact, long term impact, is not known. Of course. The, the the goal here, the the really the look ahead, is that this new budget will align with a time when we are post-pandemic. Uh, when the economy is on the upswing, we're coming out of this. Uh, and, and some are hoping for a better than expected forecast once we get out of this, that, that spending will increase, so jobs will uh, be created and it will not take a significant amount of time. There are others that are that are less optimistic. When you look back at recessions in Texas in the past, uh, it sometimes has, has taken up to three, three and a half years uh, to, to get back to the level of the economy of where it was uh, pre-recession. So again, all of this is things that, that we have to see what happens, uh, but this is at least a starting point. The legislature has to have a, a look ahead to say, okay, well, we're, we're bound by this. We can't spend more than we bring in, but we've got to at least have a baseline here to work with based on where the economy is now and what the expectations may be uh, over the next uh, biennial cycle, over the next two years. Another factor that's uh, affecting this is unemployment. Uh, our unemployment be uh, before uh, the recession, uh, if we look back, uh, uh, we were at 3.4% in May of 2019, which was a record low. Uh, We were between we were around 13 percent, a little higher than that uh, when we had the shutdown uh, and it it had its impact. And then we have moved between seven and eight percent, which is is good. And we've made progress, but we're we're still not anywhere near that uh, that record low. Uh, that where we were in 2019. The other thing about Texas too, is to, important to know, and you've probably heard this in the news and tossed about and so on, uh, is that we have what is called the Economic Stabilization Fund, uh, which is also referred to as the Rainy Day Fund, uh, which is funded primarily through crude oil and natural gas production taxes. We've carried a balance in that fund and right now it sits at about $11.6 billion. And so it is very possible uh, that lawmakers could tap into that. There, there's always some hesitancy there to do that, uh, especially if, if the impact of, of budget crisis is smaller uh, than it was anticipated. And I think the, the wrangling over this, looking back historically in previous sessions where this has been discussed, is going to be uh, how quickly we're coming out of the pandemic. How quickly are we moving forward in the economy starting to grow? And if that's optimistic, then, and that we're going to be in a better position uh, in the fall uh, when the new budget cycle begins, it can be very likely that they hold back and say, okay, look, we're, we're moving in the right direction. We're not going to commit funds out of the rainy day fund at this point. If we're still in mired in this and, and the economy is still struggling and unemployment is still a problem and revenues are, are moving in the other direction then it could very well influence uh, their thoughts and decisions about whether they tap into this uh, to support the budget uh, over uh, the next two years and over that next cycle. So there's, There's a lot to consider. It's something that is now under new leadership in the House of Representatives. Uh, We saw this past week uh, that the House with overwhelmingly approved Dade Phelan as the new Speaker of the House. And so one of the things that he's going to have on his plate front and center, and as he mentioned in his speech to the legislature, is how do we handle all of this? How do we uh, move the budget process forward? And so he was interviewed this past week uh, by the Texas Tribune, and I want to just play a little bit of that interview to introduce him to you and also emphasize why this position is so important, especially in this legislative session with the budget issues that we're looking at, but also in terms of how Texas government functions. I think the the important thing is to to understand how powerful a position this is, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that after we listen uh, to this interview. This is Dave Dade Phelan, the new Speaker of the Texas House, uh, being interviewed by the Texas Tribune.
1: It's now my pleasure to introduce Representative Dade Phelan, Republican of Beaumont, first elected to his District 21 seat in 2014. A Beaumont native and University of Texas at Austin grad, he's been a member of the House Calendars, Appropriations and Elections Committees, has been Vice Chairman of the Natural Resources Committee, and most recently chaired the State Affairs Committee. In early November, he secured the votes of enough of his colleagues, both Republicans and Democrats, to lead them in the 87th legislature. Tomorrow, on the session's opening day, one of the first orders of business in the lower chamber will be to formally hand off the gavel. Then he will be Mr. Speaker. Today, for the last time, I'll say, Mr. Chairman, (laughs) thank you for joining us. I appreciate that. I enjoyed hearing that for the last time. Okay, well, yeah. well, let's <laughs> let's not jinx it. We'll see what happens.
2: Let's, let's not jinx it either. You're right. right. We we have we have uh we have 24 hours to go. Yes, sir. 24
1: hours to go. So I thought we'd start with the news of the day, Mr. Chairman. The revenue estimate two hours ago, Controller Hager told us how much money would be available to spend in the next two-year budget cycle. Less than was available in the last two-year cycle, but more than we were expecting. The sky is not falling, apparently. What's your reaction to that, and what are the consequences of that?
2: I think it's about where we thought we would be over the last few months. We kind of landed where we we thought the the estimate may be for the current biennium and then, of course, for 22 23 I will say that we have a challenge ahead of us. There's no doubt about it. We have a challenging budget cycle. We have a 1,000 people moving to Texas every day. And I use this line all the time. People probably get sick of hearing it. But they're not bringing asphalt when they move here. They're not bringing public school teachers when they come here. They're not bringing DPS officers and prison guards when they come here. So we have to provide that. That's, that's the, the core essential services of the state of Texas are, are those items. And um, we have less to work with. That's a right. But the state of Texas is still
1: the best place to do business. Sure. It's still, it's still uh, to me, the strongest economy in the
2: entire country. So we will emerge from this COVID-19 fog, if you want to call it that, better than any state, quicker than any state. Yeah. We just—we just, we're just gonna have to get to work sooner rather than later, and uh, my colleagues are ready to do that. I've had multiple conversations with them; they're ready right. to get to work. And the budget is budget, as always, it will rule the day.
1: Are there any areas of the budget, uh, Chairman, that you consider to be off the table for cuts?
2: We have to look at everything. I mean, that's that's—I've been on appropriations. I've on appropriations for two sessions, and there's yeah. no there's no article that you don't go through with the fine tooth comb. That's your job. Right. Same with Senate Finance. You always have to take a fresh look at each uh, each budget as you go through that process. You know, if you look at your budget back home, or your budget the Tribune, or my budget back home, or my budget my real estate business, the the item you spend the most money on is what you kind of care about the most. Yep. And if you look in Texas, we've always spent our our largest item in our budget each session is. Is Article Three, which is public education and higher education, I, I don't see that changing. That is our priority coming through this right.
1: pandemic. Children, we, we can't, we cannot abandon our children when they need us the most. But you're not saying, Mr. Chairman, that you're not going to cut public ed. You're not saying you're not going to cut higher ed. You said everything's on the table.
2: I said that we've got to go through every every article, every agency, and right. every receipt, and look at it holistically, obviously, and we have to balance our budget, and we can only spend as much money as the comptroller says we have to spend. We can only right. spend as much money as as the economy has grown, so we have to go through all those um, different types of restrictions, which are fine. We've done it before, and we'll do it again, but right. I, I have full faith in the Appropriations Committee that they will do a fantastic job. Great. Right.
0: All right, that is Dade Phelan, the new speaker of the Texas House of Representatives. And I just wanna spend a little bit of time uh, talking about uh, this position. I mean, it's significant in terms of the vote. He did receive uh, bipartisan support. The vote was 143 to two with four members not voting. Uh, And part of that I think is that uh, Phelan has presented himself and I think with those that have been working with him uh, that he is the uh, ha- has that pragmatic approach uh, that is critical in Texas politics to resolving some of these issues and looking at these hard policy issues. Uh, those that voted against him were uh, uh, supporting uh, or wanting to hear more about a, a quote, conservative agenda uh, for the state. Uh, I mean, you have to look at this and understand it in context of political culture in the state, which I've discussed on uh, previous shows, uh, but also to look at what are, are the real hard policy issues that are facing the state. And this position, Speaker of the House, has a very critical role in addressing that. And so I want to just give you here a little bit of uh, of things about background about this position, or at least in terms of what it does, because uh, I think this is a a person that with all legislatures going back, but now currently within the the context that we're in, uh, that this position is something we all need to be watching to see how he leads and the decisions that he makes. And so the Speaker of the House, one of the, the top positions in the state because of the uh, a direction that position provides to the legislative process. And so uh, at each session of the legislature, the Speaker is elected, just requires a simple majority. Uh, And then the speaker's powers are significant. So going forward and in the days ahead, uh, the speaker is going to be focused on as the most influential member of the chamber who resolves all questions of process and procedure. Uh, So that's under the direction of the speaker and how things will move forward. Uh, The speaker decides which legislators become committee chairs. Uh, and assigns most of the committee members. Uh, for So the a lot of the work, most of the work of the House of Representatives goes on in these committees. If legislation is going to move forward, it has to be assigned to a committee and then it has to move forward within that committee to then move to the full house. And so uh, the speaker can uh, arrange these committees uh, with members that are supportive of, of an agenda that he has uh, in terms of legislation. Uh, one of the committees that's especially important here is the calendar committee, which determines the orders of bills considered. And so that committee has a significant amount of, of authority, and it's very then imp- important for the speaker Uh, To have people on that committee uh, that are in line with how he wants to lead uh, the House of Representatives. Uh, And so this is is very critical role and position in guiding the legislature uh, through its session uh, when it comes to the budget. Again, a very critical uh, role that the, the speaker has in looking at that budget and then navigating that going forward after the session with the lieutenant governor and, and the governor. Uh, so really, this is a position that uh, I would encourage you uh, to keep uh, track of. There's the tech, uh, Texas Lega app uh, that you can actually have on your phone to track legislation, to see what's happening. But there's also the Texas Legislature Online, uh, TLO uh, online, which uh, you can do everything from watch sessions of committees in the legislature to tracking legislation to learning more about your representative in the state legislature. And this is a critical time to be doing that. What What is happening? What is your legislators uh, supporting, your senator, your member in the House of Representatives? Uh, what are they engaged with uh, in terms of, of moving things forward for the state, especially this budget process, but other very critical issues that are on the agenda. We'll be revisiting some of those. We'll be tracking some of those on the show. Uh, We'll be looking at the appropriations process, how all this works with the budget, um, and looking ahead uh, because this will be critical to all of us as residents uh, of this state. Uh, I wanna thank you for joining me today uh, on politics. Uh, We're right here each week at noon on Sundays on KTRL 90.5 FM, uh, Facebook on politics with Eric Morrow, and then catch us on soundcloud or download as a podcast Uh, if you uh, miss the show or you want to go back and review some of the many things that we've talked about on the local state national and international levels have a good week we have an inauguration coming up and we will revisit that and look at the biden administration in more detail in the weeks ahead thank you for joining us today
1: network podcast with production from me taylor welch and me carissa cole find more great shows by searching Tarleton radio network wherever you get your podcast